Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. You have to believe in the power of you. Uncomfortable is where the change is. be willing to question the impossible or you're planning for the inevitable. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your Cognitive Rampage. We are brought to you by Vermont Pure CBD Full Spectrum Wellness Products. Now, if you listen to the last podcast, uh, Grant Jacobowski was on the podcast, the founder of that. So uh, if you haven't heard that, I suggest you go back and listen to that podcast. It was Cognitive Rampage 220. He basically told you everything you need to know and even then some about CBD and Vermont Pure CBD Full Wellness Products Company, a, a beautiful company. We got deep into it, uh, but just for the top for you now, look, they grow all their hemp on organic Vermont farmland. That matters. It certainly matters to me. Uh, they focus on high CBD and terpene-rich varieties that provide maximum healing benefits. They, act, they extract all hemp using high-tech alcohol extraction, not that dangerous butane stuff. They produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD available. They control the entire process to ensure that they produce the best CBD products on the market. Now, full-spectrum, just so you understand it, if you didn't listen to that podcast, means it still contains some THC, but not enough to where it's going to affect you psychoactively. But there are healing properties to the THC, okay? There's isolates that are out there, all right? But when they isolate it like that, it removes some healing properties, some CBN, CBG, some things, again, that you should go back and listen to the podcast with Greg, with uh, Grant Jacobowski on 220. Go back and listen to that. So the reason full spectrum is more healing is because they leave the full properties in it. They don't pull those things out, all right? So isolates can certainly be helpful, but they're not near as strong medically as a full spectrum product, okay? Especially... The fact that it's organic. It's grown in organic farm land, to be specific, okay? So, I use this product too. Again, I would not sell or endorse anything I have not used. Do not recommend at all. I wouldn't be doing that at all. So, we got to try it out. It, done, it has done some wonderful things for me. I don't use it every day. Uh, but when I do, it works, whether it's a small ache or pain or something like that. And it's done wonders for psoriasis for myself as well. That runs in my family. It's a gene that's passed down, but, well, no more. So it's amazing the things that you can treat with CBD, especially a full spectrum. Just go to VermontPureCBD.com, enter the promo code RAMPAGE, and you get 10% off. Okay, that's VermontPureCBD.com, enter code word RAMPAGE for 10% off. And we are live. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your Cognitive Rampage. If you're in Florida or anywhere in the southeast, everybody got pretty uh, soaking wet last night from all the rain and rain that passed through by today as well. So I uh, wonder if you're sitting inside. If not, you can hang out by the fire with me. I'm going to do a little reading tonight. Looks like uh, all the... Audio is coming in good. 
Yeah, all right, we're just double checking on it. Hate to go through all this and then not record, but uh, hope you're having a good day. Hope your weekend's been well and everything is going well in your life. If not, I promise you it will get better. You have survived this long. And uh, I like to remind people to if, take a second and remember the darkest time of your life and think about that and know that, well, you survived that and you're here today. So whatever you're experiencing today, well, it can't be that bad compared to what you've already made it through, right? So uh, probably hear some page flipping as I go uh, through the book as I'm reading to you all uh, here. Won't take too long. I'm going to read the dedication, the forward and chapter one, and we'll see how many chapters I can get in uh, next week. We're working on the audio book of the Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery Change and Life Optimization. That book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and a few other outlets around the internet. The podcast as well, if you're watching here live on Facebook, I uh, appreciate it, appreciate all the love, but uh, the podcast as well is on iTunes, Stitcher for Android, and Podbean as well. Uh, we upload all of these Facebook episodes onto the YouTube page as well. There's a bunch of unique playlists on the Cognitive Rampage on YouTube where I separate out the shows from the short mental doses that I give to my personal Cognitive Rampages as well as the Cognitive Rampage podcast and some other episodes that aren't on the podcast uh, that I call the Rambling Rampages. I have a friend of mine that I've uh, known for a while comes over and we, well, kick back a few and just laugh really and have a good time. So the YouTube page is pretty cool to check that out too. I'd appreciate it if you subscribe to that and to the podcast on iTunes, you know, all the subscribe, follow, click, all that stuff. Uh, also on Instagram too, where I share a meme or two that I put together uh, and some other really good talks or AKA cognitive rampages from other people. So um, without further ado, uh, we'll do some live reading here. Forgive me if I, uh, mess a word up or two as I'm reading along, but bear with me. Uh, the editor, as they put together the audio book, hopefully will uh, fix that before we go out there. But, um, well, it's kind of odd saying it, but this is uh, my book, the second edition. The first edition was limited and put out in April 2016. Uh, I then, well, questioned my own philosophies and the theory that is behind this book. This book is an experience, a self-application to changing your life, optimizing your life, uh, and self-discovery. Uh, it is a work. You put this work in your life. Uh, it is not just a lot of motivational fluff and uh, wordplay. It is an actual practice that you put in, and it is based in the theory that I founded uh, over three years with a help with the help of a well, the mentor of mine, uh, Leo Dianabal, who you will hear throughout this book, actually. So a lot of love to you, Leo. Um, and thank you for helping me put this together over so long and, and dealing with me and to all my mentors out there, uh, both virtual and primary, as you'll learn what that means as we get further into the book as well. So um, without further ado, really this time, I mean it, uh, this is The Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization by Adam Lowry. Dedication. This book is dedicated to my daughter, Morgan Elise Lowry. You are the most authentic person I have known in my life. You are my peace. You are my greatest influence. 
You are my reason. I love you just the way you are and will be. Thank you for teaching me every day. May your future be what you make it and all that you have dreamed. I live my days with you forever in my heart and take you with me in my spirit eternally. Forward. I wrote this book for those seeking a scientific approach to life enhancement, experiencing a life change, or want to create one. For those wanting to cultivate and reveal their authentic selves. For those willing to question everything, and even for those who are unwilling. If your life is your passion, or if you want it to be, if you have even the slightest heartbeat left to rampage against your dark or push your light further, this is for you. If you believe in the power of the individual or want to, this is for you. This is for the unique hopefuls who have refused to resign to supposed to. Those who know there are many ways and many paths. If you don't identify with any of these perspectives and simply read for the experience, sometimes the most life-altering moments occur during the most random experiences, many times experiences we initially avoided. These unpredictable moments of being suddenly uncomfortable can, in a moment, change your life. The constructively uncomfortable experiences reward you the most. Reading this may be one of those experiences. It will dose your present path with authentic moments and experiences you will start creating. That's right. You won't be watching and waiting for them to happen. You will craft the authentic moments and life experiences that will be your story. You are the author. This approach is not going to show you the way, so to speak. I'm not promising you will find happiness. You will create that if you choose. I'm not asking you to find yourself either. I'm asking you to simply use yourself. Go look in the mirror right now. There you are. Now that you have found yourself, it is time to use yourself. I'm not guaranteeing sobriety and that all of your dreams will come true. That is up to you. This is the story of how I changed my life. This is what continues to grow my life daily. This approach has assisted others in doing the same. It was they who convinced me to write down in some orderly fashion for those others. It is you who will change your life. In the simplest terms, this approach offers a framework for change and a path of steadfast growth. It is a framework I built from the pages of my revealing journal, which documents all my life's most difficult transitions, and then applying my academic study and my clinical experience as a mental health practitioner. The Cognitive Rampage is a culmination of nearly 20 years of journaling and composing, integrated with my academic and personal study of historic and modern-day researchers, practitioners, philosophers, and theorists. This approach also includes the wisdom of my life's most influential mentors and their mentors. My academic study was fueled by my personal dedication to change my own life. Daily, I fed my passion for psychology, sociology, philosophy, and mental and physical health to gain the competencies I needed to change. In sum, it is how I change my life and continue to dose it daily. I know this will help you do the same. In the end, 
it is still merely my perception of my own meandering in this wildly amazing moment we call the human experience. You are writing your life story, and each page is filled with the choices you make. The best part is, because you are writing the script, you control what happens next. When you can learn to think rationally, begin making choices from a rational place of op optimistic possibility, learn to enthusiastically feed your mind, body, and spirit daily with knowledge, wisdom, and experience, you will begin to cultivate and live purposefully. You won't have to find purpose. Purpose will find you. Phase one, the background, scientific influence, and strategy. Chapter one, the human behind the rampage. Quote, I have my moments. I have kept my journal since I was 15. Sometimes I would write poetry and sometimes just a question. I even drew sketches. I don't know why I wrote this journal as though I was telling a story to someone. I don't even know who that someone was. I wrote descriptive statements, asked enraged questions in multiple tones and narratives. I did not realize till much later in life that I had unknowingly and vividly tracked my most influential life experiences and transitions from beginning to end. The fearful, angry, typical, and not so typical life transitions and experiences seemed to be the only times I would write in my journal. Imagine that. I began as a kid writing about my verbally, emotionally, and sometimes physically abusive father. I watched a strong, spiritual man collapse from the pressures of this world. Endless nights of yelling, my mother's screams, followed by the sounds of something other than my heart breaking under the fear of him. I've never been so scared of a hall light shining under my door and what was to come in the morning or when he got home from work. I never knew when or what was to come for most of my childhood. It was this state of constant fear that became the emotional terrorism that rippled for years in my life choices. I scribed my transition from fearing the very man who had enforced every perception into my life to being the only one around to tackle him from reaching the 357 Smith & Wesson revolver because he had enough of the pain and suddenly planned to end it all because my mother had left again. Ironically, it was the same revolver I had played Russian roulette with at least a half a dozen times from the age 12 till about 14 or 15. Although today I credit him for planting a spiritual seed and my mother for cultivating it into its present strength. Through my journal, I could almost relive these weekly occurrences. My journal, was, my journal also included my transitions from a high school football player to a college player with NFL dreams, the dream ending injury, and the route to my life of crime. It was all there in my horrible public school handwriting, spelling, and grammar. Later, as I began my education in mental health, I poured through the words in my journal, not really knowing what to expect. I remember finding when addiction began to grab a hold. It was in my early 20s as I was forced out of football. I found a way to recapture the exhilaration I found in sports, in the dope game, and running nightclubs. Imagine that. The journal detailed all the adventure candy, 
drama, and close calls that came with the lifestyle, but no names. My journal was riddled with nightmares, failures, and too much regret and shame to list here. I seem to be passionately and constantly pissed off, focused solely on the pain of my life. I cynically concentrated on what was not right about my life, what wasn't fair, what should have happened. I was angry at what was supposed to have happened, what could have been. The words also revealed the few successes in similar detail. Literary tracking of my experiences put in slow motion years of wide-ranging beliefs, thoughts, and emotions. Each written thought hosted its own taste of memory, sour, bitter, and sweet. Scribbles of arranged letters revealed my altering attitudes, bleak outlook, and jaded beliefs. Now, with psychological training, I could see how each entry painted the exact picture, the ugliness my words proposed. The beauty of emerging from each transitional experience was transcribed meticulously as well. I could see clear and present dialogue shifts, the verbiage that led me into further chaos and confusion, and some that led me to be more alive than ever. Alive, meaning it read as though I was no longer willing to only survive, but curious, even anxious to grow. I would title this journal, My Spiritual Rampage, at the end of a two-year journey I call my walkabout. The choice to leave on this walkabout was in no way planned and came after a night of sudden and unplanned life contemplation. I know how it sounds. Maybe it was spiritual contemplation. I still don't quite know what it was. There was no catalyst event to this typical night either. The name stuck, though. My spiritual rampage is now a phrase interchangeable between my lifelong journal and my roughly two-year walkabout. That random night of contemplation began my life's most uncomfortable journey. I will try to summarize my walkabout, walkabout because that adventure is a book unto itself. And this book is about you, not me. My dream of football destroyed by injury. I became quickly and many times deeply involved in criminal activities, camouflaged by my work in the nightclub scene. At 22, I had been placed in an inpatient detainment because I had been determined I was a threat to others and suicidal, if they had only known the truth of it. I had attempted a few relationships, but pretty much was the ruin to most of those. They were all filled with drama, just like my home life had been. However, the relationship before embarking on my walkabout was the match to my gasoline. We reframed our drama as passion, but our relationship was actually quite destructive to us, to our health, our futures, but also to our friendships and our families. By the time I was 26, I had managed not to overdose or do any major prison time, just minimal jail time. I had, by some miracle, negotiated my exit from the drug business and became fully immersed in the nightclub business. When you move as much product as I was, they don't just let you walk away. At least at this moment, I owed no one. Business was legal and going decently well. I was surprised I'd actually made it out of the dope game alive. I didn't see that happening because that was not my plan. Some friends were not so lucky. Both lifestyles, drugs, and nightclub life had intertwined 
and then come unwound. It had been a wild ride, to say the least. The day I left on my walkabout, I was running a nightclub with ownership nights and deep into plans of launching a new website venture. I was using cocaine and ecstasy much less often since I quit dealing in such large quantities. Drinking was typically nightly and comes with the business if you let it. My all-nighters were down to a few times a week rather than days at a time. The nightclub business was as competitive, ruthless, and unpredictable as the drug business. Running, running a successful one meant your club had to be the hottest, the newest, the sexiest place to be seen. There was good money to be made, but success rested on what happened on two or three nights a week. It was a constant hustle. As long as I had money, everything was okay. But living the nightclub, nightclub life means I also spent it quickly. It all seemed just a part of the business, part of the lifestyle, just who I was. It was a typical weekday night. I was home early from the club. I had not done any synthetic drugs for a week or so. It was around 3 a.m. and I sat down to smoke my usual blunt of California's finest to wind down. Except this time, it just didn't feel right. My thoughts were pulling me to analyze my path and my past, my ruthless violence toward others, and especially what I did for a living. Beyond the velvet ropes, the fun, the money, the ego. Is this it? Was I happy? An internal debate ensued for nearly 16 hours in my living room. I placed the song Epiphany by Stained on repeat for some reason. Trust me, I know how this sounds. The thought and the question were now repeating. Walk away from it all. Walk away from it all? This toiling would continue through tears, anger, meditation, prayer, and writing. This is who I was. Adam, or Mike Lowry, as they called me. The nightclub guy with the hookups to anything and everything you want and need. Within two days of this night's end, I had given away all I did not need, left my hard-earned career, all my plans, and all my friends. In the middle of the night, I drove to the Florida Keys seeking purpose. I found humility. This is where I learned that you have to be willing to get uncomfortable to get healthy. I took a job working construction at the end of the summer heat, digging and filling holes in the limestone of a military runway just north of Key West, Florida. I slept in a house with four other guys doing the same labor work. My bed was a corner on the linoleum floor with couch cushions and a blanket. I spent more time on the job and in the gym than I did on that floor. I wanted nothing to do with ego, nightlights, velvet ropes, endless cocaine talk of business plans to get richer than the other guy, and the continuous comparison of each other's cars, homes, clothes, and craziest nights. I was finished with any type of facade, including my own. When I wasn't digging holes, painting, or demolishing in potential asbestos, I was lifting, reading, writing, fishing, or running. It is amazing what physical labor and nature can do for the mind, body, and spirit. My life had been ego-driven till then, based in soulless choices, chasing dark thrills, pretending it was for money, hiding behind the do-what-you-have-to-do phrase you all may know very well. Like a tornado on an unknown path, 
I had been spinning violently since leaving the game I loved so much. I had been chasing the rush, the feelings of the Friday night lights and the Saturday cheers ever since I left them behind. Although the nightmares that began in my teens continued well into my twenties. The long days of mind-numbing work allowed seemingly endless time for self and life reflection. With each passing workday, I began to contemplate more and more feelings of empathy for those I had harmed and those who had hurt me. It is hard to feel genuine empathy for those who harm us. I have come to believe wholeheartedly this is where you start. Who I was and who I was supposed to be melted away in the Florida Keys sun with each hole I dug, page I wrote and read, fish I caught, run I took, and weight I lifted. After the Keys, I took off to Chattanooga, Tennessee to be closer to my brother and his family. My brother Davy was the only one. My brother Davy was the one who hooked me up with the Keys escape. He has and continues to be right there when I need him most. Living near them would be the first time I would experience the idea of family in any healthy sense. I started to gain perspective on my life just being around my young niece Seneca so often. I will never forget our first uncle and niece breakfast. There was something reassuring watching my powerful niece play in nature in places where people still say ma'am. That time with my brother and his family fed a humbling spirit with real joy. It wasn't perfect, and neither was I. I almost relapsed into the club business when I, when I was tempted by a quick-fix, easy-money nightclub project. I had not touched any synthetics weeks before embarking. I did attempt a relationship before I was healthy, but predictably, I ruined that one as well. A trip set up once again through my brother and his contacts out west gave me a chance to experience life on the reservation in New Mexico, what many referred to as the res. That trip quickly put a stop to every relationship, another club takeover, both near and potentially very emotionally lucrative mistakes. While on the res, I had many powerful spiritual experiences. One day, I chose to walk down an ancient path from atop a mountain flat a flat hosting a Native American burial ground, a site just off the steps of one of the oldest churches in this country. The burial ground ran to the edge of a deep canyon full of soaring, diving, and gliding ravens and crows, at least a hundred. The sky immediately above seemed to be the only space the birds would soar. It is the most powerful view I have ever seen to date in my life. The walk from there down to the valley was when one of these powerful and affecting moments occurred. The path I was walking down was the path the Apache used to bring up water and food to the flat. They had moved from the lush valley for better protection from the invading U.S. government. This path was kept hidden by natural camouflage in the twists and turns of the steep rundown. I paused for a moment when a distant view broke from a rocky-walled path overlooking a mountain in the distance. I thought of both of my grandfathers and just listened to nature. The details of this and many other moments I choose to keep private. That experience and many others like it changed my life perceptions. That moment on the path down 
I stopped forcing my past life experiences to define who I was. It was no longer my truth. I admit it, I did not know who I was. I began to question myself, the world, and others with an empathetic openness, appreciation, and humbled curiosity for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I returned to Florida, 29 years old, nearly two years after my sudden departure. My life would never be the same. Who I was and who I am were no longer present. My belief canvas had been wiped clean. I started coaching at the YMCA in their youth flag football league. In two seasons, those little men did more for me than I'm sure any of my coaching did for them. More than any therapy session had ever done for me past and present. I had no other true place to call home except the gym I frequented, the few friends couches, and an 89 Tahoe I purchased from my uncle. I pursued pastoral school briefly, but quickly came to the belief that neither I nor anyone could hold such a monopolized seat or claim some exclusive right to infuse the book with so much personal interpretation. No offense. For lack of a better or more authentic terms, my spiritual life was different than religion had ever taught me it was supposed to be when I was a child. It was more honest. I had left a business after nearly a decade of focus. I was starting over at 29 with no dope money stash, no savings account, no asset, no 401k, an entrepreneur and nightclub resume, no credit, no home, and no plan. I had liquidated self inside and out. I only knew I wanted to live differently and maybe help people one day. With my football training experience, I began personally, personal training for peanuts at a gym I frequented because it helped me so much. Plus, I spent so much time there as it was. I would train others and work on some side ideas when I could put down a barbell, book, or coaching clipboard. This was also the first time I would be invited to speak in public. A high school friend set me up to speak to athletes at our middle school about being leaders because they were athletes. I ended up changing it to why they should help others learn to become better athletes. I prepped for almost two weeks for a 15-minute speech to middle school students. That day changed my life. The personal training was barely covering the bills, but I was happier than I had ever been in my life. I was eating better than I had ever eaten in my life. I was a workout and reading machine. I finally read a book my mother had given me years earlier after leaving inpatient treatment at 22 years old. I used to regret not reading it the moment she gave it to me. I'm also so happy I never gave it away. I can never seem to hold on to a book I love because I give it away to someone I think might need it. The book was A Guide to Rational Living by Dr. Albert Ellis. I think the speech I gave that day terrified in front of middle school kids and this book seeded the eventual push to my present day professional life. I had become vulnerable, compassionate, no longer focused on the pain and regret, but the human potential. Vulnerable, but focused this time on the competence I was gaining by being more aware and humbly curious, not focused on the pain of what was or should be. I was now beginning to paint on my blank canvas new beliefs about the world, others, and myself. Reading that book 
was a cognitive experience for me like no other. I enjoyed this experience and the life-changing experiences of many other books many times. I still do. Each book offered a different human experience. Each sentence provided a peek into more self-competence and possibility. Not to mention, provided strategies and tools. Reading these multiple experiences fed a growing enthusiasm. The last of my once concrete life seemed to crumble, crumble away naturally. The more I read psychology, philosophy, and related research, the more enthusiastic I became about my own life, the more confident I became that I could help others. My mother had planted a seed many years ago with a book, a competent seed. This once tiny interest had been developing into a competence fed by my hunger for learning as much as I could. Gaining competence in many areas of interest had now grown into an enthusiastic way of life. As I read others, written accounts of their life experiences, thoughts, and philosophies, my curiosity, passion, and enthusiasm grew. An unquenchable thirst for the optimistic possibilities drove my desire for self-competence. Peace was real in my life for the first time. I was feeling humble. I was feeling humbly confident while having no future planned, being the most financially destroyed I'd ever been, and being early in this transition, still quite alone. My thoughts consistently reminded me. I only knew what I know now because I admitted I knew nothing first. If that was continue, if that was to continue, then the practice of humility needed to be on the forefront of my days. Like a watermark, it needed to be this, it needed to be stamped over everything I learned, felt, and thought. The moment I stopped being humble in my learning and my teaching, I risk a detour that could destroy all the gains I have made. I continued to study all of the theoretical foundations of psychology, as many historical, current, and emerging theories and therapies I could sniff out or had heard about in passing. I was doing this as though my life depended on it. I was enthusiastic, to say the least. First, I had to learn for myself my personal what's and why's. I was looking for the how-to for changing my life and eventually to help others do the same. Deciding to pursue my master's in mental health counseling was no difficult choice with my new outlook and life philosophy. I didn't study. I trained relentlessly like it was two-a-day football camp. I researched, questioned, wrote, and read like it was a race to save lives, including my own. I still do. I studied theories and read books not required by the classes on top of the required material. I dove deep into self-analysis at the same time. I still do. I now say my student loans are probably the amount therapy would have cost me to get where I am in my life currently, but I did it in half the time. That thought makes me feel better when the student loan bill comes every month. After returning from my walkabout, in completing my master's in mental health counseling, I began to cultivate what I call my cognitive rampage, a daily enthusiastic but humble questioning of self, others, and the world, cultivating an enthusiasm for self and life through daily feedings of competence in mind, body, and belief, to create experiences and not wait for them. I have worked hard to live my life this way since returning from my walkabout. I still do.
by the time I was 31, I had married and officially became a father to the most authentic person I know, Morgan Elise Lowry. By the end of year three of my return, I completed my master's in mental health counseling and graduated with near perfect scores. I was even hired as a full-time clinical therapist in a dual diagnosis hospital while still finishing my internship. My new beliefs, life philosophy, and daily structure led me to find a real and honest relationship with myself, experience unconditional love for someone else for the first time in my life, and purpose found me seemingly overnight. It had taken me roughly 25 years to get where I was before I departed on my spiritual rampage, but only about five years to change my life to something I had never imagined possible. Getting out of the hole doesn't take as long as it took you to get in there, but it does if you believe it to. I am now sure I could not have experienced and begun living my cognitive rampage had I not experienced my first spiritual rampage, had I not embraced and experienced the darkness that was my past. I may not have accepted my spiritual rampage. Quote, Darkness can cause destruction, but it also breeds creation. End quote. My experiences from the therapist chair continued to feed my passion as I ate, slept, and spoke of 24-7. I spoke, I spoke with dedicated enthusiasm, a humbled confidence, and I wanted to help everyone I could using the new what's and why's I had learned in my study, my travels, and life experiences. I studied many amazing new theories, research, treatments, and competencies. Many of these approaches have shown much promise and more positive outcomes than what was typically practiced. Today, new and emerging theories and approaches are rarely used inside the walls of Medicare and Medicare-funded facilities and private practitioners, not because they are not effective, but because they are not reimbursable. Practitioners are often held within the confines of the 12-step approach when it comes to addiction. It is, this, it is the same as it was 13 years ago when I was a patient. Nothing had changed. The program hadn't worked for me. They didn't even teach the 12-step approach in my master's program. Still, I had to stick to the steps, this time from the therapist chair. The steps approach works for many people. The research varies from 5% to 25% recovery rates. This is not my argument. It is helping the other 75 to 95% of people struggling with addiction and this one size fits all approach. In my opinion, it is unethical that we know such a large percentage will fail and we simply blame them, a disorder or the disease. Especially because we have an ethical responsibility to offer any and all available possibilities of help and treatment, but cannot, but cannot due to legal corruption. It is a waste of humanity. I am a supporter of the 12 steps, but it cannot be the only main offered approach for treating addiction today. This is my argument. I support what works for the individual. If 12 steps, Alcoholics Anonymous, or Narcotics Anonymous works for you, then I'm cheering you on to the next step. It should continue to be an offered approach. How can we continue to ignore a large percentage of human beings and simply act as though they are just not applying themselves? I must also note 
that synthetic medication was almost always a part of the treatment program in addiction. Pharmacological intervention is more easily provided, billed, and reimbursed. At a minimum, this approach ensures the return of the patient shortly after their release from their time-limited treatment. The treatment prescribed at these facilities is driven by what insurance companies will pay for, not by doctors and therapists using all rational means available to help someone who is in desperate need of their help. The more competent I became as a therapist, the more I could see a failing system perpetuating and even creating more pain and suffering. The time I spent working in a government-funded dual-diagnosis treatment centers changed the path of my life dramatically, although not in the way I had envisioned. My idealism quickly collided with the reality that the treatment center was more pawn than king in this game. I could not survive without revenue from the insurance companies, U.S. tax dollars, and corrupt legislation. They were the real power in this scheme. Taking down the power of insurance companies is like deciding to fight the rising tide. You can spend a lot of time, money, and energy to slow the tide, but as a force of nature that won't be denied until the masses decide enough is enough. That's not to say I would give in and join the team or give up and walk away. I had to say and eventually do something. With the counsel of my primary mentor, Leo Dianabal, I began to explore and build an approach that would, that would be not only scientifically based, but provide meaningful and lasting change. First, I would begin to speak about the depth of the corruption in the mental health system, the corrupt legalities and protocols linked to the insurance companies that decided on treatment approaches and timeframes. When profit drives these decisions, we are left with the cheapest, quickest, and often stalest treatments. But it wasn't enough to protest, reveal, and press for restructuring of our healthcare system. I wanted to carve out a different path for people to change their lives. I did not want to focus on selected symptoms like addiction or depression. I hunted for a proactive path that would lead to dynamic changes on all fronts simultaneously, cognitive, behavioral, environmental, and biological. How I changed my life was rec recorded in my journal, what was revealed through my training. Leo offered more than 30 years of combined clinical research, private, and clinical practice as a licensed clinical social worker and facility director. He offered guidance and mentorship in nearly every word. I had a much different life experience to offer. I too had clinical experience, but from both chairs and enough academia to numb anyone's spirit. My vigor for the art of helping, fueled by my, my seemingly endless quest to optimize an approach people could apply in their life that did not call for pills and powerlessness. During endless nights for the next three years, I relived my life experiences through my journal and cultivated new competencies. I'd build, I'd tear down, and rebuild again. Like John Nash in The Beautiful Mind in his quest for an original idea, tire tirelessly, I moved the pieces around. The culmination, refining, and polishing of these pieces revealed what I called transrational structure behavior theory, or TSBT. Trans is a prefix occurring in the loan words 
from Latin to transcend or change thoroughly. On the TSBT model, it is used in combination with elements of rational origin. Transrational means to transition to a rational thinking process and self-talk. This requires more than simple cognitive reframing, but deep belief extraction. Beliefs that are processed through rational filters and applied behaviorally in a personalized structure for quicker effect and assimilation. This combines a structured behavioral approach with the cognitive sciences while also accounting for the environmental and biological influences. TSBT is also a culmination of my past life of living in a literal rampage, my spiritual rampage, and my present life experience. Transrational structure behavior theory just sounded like so many other relatively confusing theories got to be a mouthful and sounded so pretentious when I heard myself say it. This approach needed to be different. This is how the cognitive rampage was born. A literal thinking rampage, a targeted destruction of all existing irrational notions of truth and reality by mindfully observing self-exploration, revealing the self through a humble questioning of self, others, and the world, to live daily with a passionate curiosity for competence in order to cultivate an enthusiasm for creating life experiences, or simply put, to live your cognitive rampage. Perhaps nothing truly is original. We build upon, the, we build upon one another in this life. This is a building block carved out of my life experience set for others to build, grow, and tear apart just as I did to create the cognitive rampage approach to mastering life's transitions and cultivating personal revelations. This was my dose of authentic revelation I now offer you, and there are no harmful side effects. Hope you enjoyed that little reading there. Hope it was good for you. Not too many mistakes on the live read there, huh? It's all right. I stuck with it. All right, y'all. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> it's nerve-wracking for me, too, to leave a to read aloud. Remember when you were in class and you knew the line was coming to you and everybody had their books and you were like, all right, four more people. Which, which paragraph is mine? And you try to read it real quick. Yeah. So for me, it's what I like doing. So I'm reading out loud just because, uh, well, it puts me in flow state, makes me a little nervous along the way, y'all. But uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I'll be reading more on this book uh, as the week continues. And, well, fight night has started, and there's some good fights to be watching tonight, so that's what I'm about to do. Uh, I love you all. I hope you're taking care of you. I hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Now you know what that means. Love you.